Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow night, Blog Talk Radio time on the catch. And uh, we've got a wonderful guest tonight and uh, an incredible topic. So I know you're going to love this show, whether you're listening to it live or whether you're listening to it later as a podcast. Um, We want to talk about God's movement in history. And uh, uh, my guest, is uh, one of my peers who was uh, a pioneer along with me and a number of others in what was the beginnings of uh, what we now call contemporary Christian music, although it was Jesus music then. And uh, uh, Paul is still ministering, still singing. In fact, he's recorded a brand new album and uh, wonderful uh he was a, uh, I think it was a uh, Kickstarter project, and uh, it's out, available. We're going to talk about that towards the end of our show, but right now, um, I want to welcome Paul, Paul on because we want to talk about uh, a little bit about what, how God moved uh, when, when we were, when, you know, years ago for us, and then what it, what it looks like now, and, uh <clears throat> Give us a perspective. So, Paul, welcome, welcome to Blog Talk Radio again. Great to have you back. Hey, it's great to be back, John. Always good to hear your voice, and um, appreciate the last minute call too, because there's no preparation involved other than you and me listening to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> there you, there you go. Yeah, fantastic. Um, you know, I, I was just thinking as I was getting ready for this, Paul. You know. I don't know whether you feel this way, but I do. I, I, I feel like like we were built for movements. And, um, you know, we we had the Jesus movement in the early 70s. And, uh, you know, when, when, when that faded, we all, um, we all kind of been lost. Uh, I've, we've talked to a lot of, uh, some of those early pioneers and, uh, Everybody feels kind of like the the train just you know went on by, and uh, in some ways uh, we don't know what to do with ourselves because we were made for a movement. And maybe if that's true, maybe we're a little more sensitive to move to something new that might just be happening. And I I know I've been feeling it. And I've been talking to uh, others, and they've sensed it kind of like a the sound of a distant thunder. Um, we want to talk about that tonight, and um, I just like I, Paul. I, I just like you to 
to to jump in and and take what what do you see that uh you think could be signs of God maybe ready to move again obviously he's moved constantly he God never stops moving but what we talk what we're talking about is in a major way in a in a, in a way that that kind of awakens the whole culture and uh, makes everybody see and start to get the picture. Um, talk about some signs you might see on the horizon. Well, that's a great topic. I'm glad that you and I can talk about it because we have 47, 48 years under our belts of experience. So uh, <laughs> before I actually answer that question, I'd like to preface it with uh, some food for thought for us. And, um, you know, I was introduced to a, to a term, to a, a writer that inspired me, a term called Luddites. And she said, her name is Roseanne Cash. You might know Johnny Cash's daughter. And uh, in her interview, she said, I don't want to sound like a Luddite. And I was like, it's a Luddite, you know? I mean, I, I know quite a bit of things. I decided to look it up. I knew it wasn't a theological term that I was familiar with. And I still remembered something about it. <clears throat> but a Luddite, uh, for those that may not know what it is, was a, was a member of a band of English workers who were the people that tried destroying modern machinery uh, in the cotton and woolen mills, uh, English workers. And these people hmm. tried to stop progress, you know protested by trying to, you know, fraudulently and deceitful manner, trying to get around the labor unions and all this kind of stuff. So when you said they kind of felt like you described the Jesus movement, um, pioneers like you and me and the other people that were there, uh, like the train went by, I think we had two choices. I, I distinctly remember having a sort of a, a, a fork in the road around 1980, I'm going to call the first fork in the road, the opportunity to become a Luddite. The Jesus movement really was kind of, to me, two phases, 1970 through 75 and 75 through 80. 70 through 75, phase one was primarily a tremendous sovereign outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know you have met and I've met, we talked mm-hmm. about this before, but I've met people around the globe, South Africa, it doesn't matter where, you know, they had their testimony sounds just like mine, yet they were just hippies seeking God and, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. So I'm kind of going somewhere for a purpose. So I ask, I ask you to be patient with my, with my, with my piggly wiggly route here, because it's all going to come together. Uh, so <laughs> that first five years was, you know, building. You're talking about we're built for something. We were, we were built for something. I, I look back at my life. I'm sure you look back at your life and it was like a speed train. It was just, um, I mean, I went from just running a little coffee house in Denver to all of a sudden I was singing to thousands of people and making records and, and it just took off at bullet speed. And uh, somewhere in the mid seventies there, it began to get some formation to it and a little bit of organization to it. I remember uh, as an artist being so offended when somebody said, don't you have a contract? I mean, you don't have a manager. It was always like I was a second class citizen because I hadn't acquired uh-huh. a manager yet. You know, and all of a sudden it became a business. I had a lawyer, and he negotiated my contracts with Wood Records, and money was large, large sums of money <laughs> compared to now were being exchanged, you know, advances and this and that. And, and uh, you know, you had, you know, things that you 
demanded. People were you know, putting demands, and all of a sudden it was a big, turning to business. And then around 1980, that, that uh, and also during that time, also the positive parts of that time were that the church was starting to form, I feel, because um, God was raising up a lot of these people using our music to really be like a musical seminary for people. My songs were mm-hmm. Bible stories, and people listened by Bible stories and the music and made them dig into the Word. And I still get letters from pastors all today that still say, you know, hey, I cut my teeth in your songs, and I went to Bible school, and blah, 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 and the rest is history. But So, you know, our model that you say we were built for, you know, was a model that is important. The reason I wanted to share this is because when that revolution started, just like the Luddite revolution, when that revolution started, interestingly enough, at least in my experience, I was rejected by the, the polished hip church of the day. The And this isn't coming down in denomination particularly, but I distinctly remember like Assembly of God and Baptist being the flashiest of the day. They had the, the big buildings and the red carpet and the big the platform. The platform is a holy word, mm-hmm. sanct, sanct, sanctuary word. You know, once you go up to the platform, Brother Clark, and I was like, what are you talking about? I'm just Paul, you know? <laughs> There's a, a whole vernacular and a whole culture uh, polyester leisure suits mm-hmm. and quartets and a whole very polished <laughs> culture. I stood in back of the bus with uh, Myron Lefebvre when I met him in March of 1970 and, and watched the Florida Boys and uh, the, the Happy Goodmans and all these family things. They were all fighting over the merch table spaces and they were having an argument, like a heated argument about who was going to get sort of like the end cap at the Costco almost. <laughs> So I know this is a long answer, but stick with me now. So <laughs> what I see today, I'm, I'm quantifying my answer to you. So in 1980, Christian music took sort of a, a turn in the road, became more polished, and became a definite industry, a definite organization behind it, lots of money, lots of uh, manu- uh, marketing, scheming, and, and mm-hmm. the soul was kind of cut out of what we were doing. It became far more about the production. And uh, that seed <clears throat> turned into what I feel today is what we see a large portion of. Uh, and that is, uh, I often use the term that uh, a lot of churches I go into, the lightning and the thunder are very impressive, but the crops are brown. Because there's hmm. the freshness of the Holy Spirit is not, the rain of the Holy Spirit is not falling. It's, it's well-purposed. It's well-intentioned. Good people. Honest people. You know, really sold out to serving the Lord and trying to build something positive, but sort of watered down wine compared to what we had. I used to, I've said this before, I went this season where I kind of got mad at God because why did he give us all the the signs and wonders and miracles and and transformation right and left all around us? You know, just Mm -hmm. you open your mouth and play a guitar and it happened. And then it turned into then a culture of, you got to witness your neighbor for five years by your good works and sort of friendship him into the kingdom, you know, and take him to your foam paddy cross church where everything was sort of pre-manufactured and, and you didn't want to offend people. And that the cross, <laughs> the cross, bro, is a yep. stumbling block. The cross will always be a stumbling block. If you look at our culture we're living in now, I mean, this voting election, I mean, the whole thing is a stumbling block. We've become the minority. <laughs> So your question, I wanted—I don't want didn't want to spend too much time with the past, but I wanted to use that to sort of not provide scaffolding, but a real foundation on what 
I'm going to supply as my answer because I'm not a theologian. I haven't, you know, studied uh, the Bible, you know, through nine different languages and, and uh, the, you know, thorough, exhaustive concordance. I, I have. At one time in my life, I did quite a bit, actually. But I would not ever call myself a theologian. But I would call myself a person with discernment because that's not something I earned through experience alone or just doing this since 1970. It was a gift of the Holy Spirit. One of the gifts the Holy Spirit has mm-hmm. mentioned is the gift of discernment. So that's not something mm-hmm. I just got through training or went to Bible school to get. Either you have it or you don't. <laughs> and I, I feel like the Lord gave me a gift of discernment. I'm sure he did to you as well. And most of those early pioneers, we were given those gifts of discernment uh, not to be charismaniacs or be, you know, words of knowledge or prophesying just sloppily all over the place. Not for that at all. But we we were not given the opportunity to have 100 people come forward to concert and counsel them for six months. We didn't have that. We had a five-minute conversation with somebody. I could look them in the eye and be talking, and the Holy Spirit, I would know, would say, hey, pray for this guy. You know, he needs help with blah, blah, blah. It was it was shotgun kind of, you know, ministry. And so that, that gift in me, the sermon gift, has always been strong. I have to be really careful. I'm not, uh, don't sound negative, because it sounds like a critic, but when you see things, in advance, you see smoke in the horizon. Other people may not know there's a fire over there. You kind of mm-hmm. want to warn them. Mm-hmm. You kind of want to warn them. So I have some warning signs that I wanted, I wanted to quantify before I answered it. I have some warning signs that I noticed today that I think are worth listening to or at least pondering and having a conversation over because, uh, I wanted, like I said, I'm not a theologian. I could sit here. I could, the other night, I sat right here in my room back here in my studio and had a three-and-a-half-hour conversation with uh, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pan-trib, all the different, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, facets of the diamond. Of when did Jesus come back, you know? And, you know, I could talk myself into being any one of those things, but my friend, uh, he's very much sold in the rapture, and has, that's great, and I can believe in the rapture. Uh, but this isn't, I don't want to get sidetracked with this, but I want you to think about this. It's a simple answer is I told my friend, no man knows the hour of the day, so we can decide all we want. So to look at the church today and to look at the culture today and try to put this all together in meaningful discernment of where are we? You know, Jesus told us we wouldn't know all things, but he said not to be ignorant. To not be ignorant, I have I have my antenna up and I'm looking around. And the first thing that I want to look around for is it's sort of like a, when I, I sort of like wet my fingers, stick it up in there, and the first thing I try to feel mm-hmm. is there wind. Is there wind? You know, mm-hmm. I have an old saying: it's a lot easier to find wind than it is to make wind. And there's so much energy being put out today in the modern church to make wind. Mm-hmm. So much energy and money and and facilitating of large staffs of volunteers uh, to make wind to try to present this gospel. So like I said, I know a lot of it's well-intended. It's sincere people love God, and they know they're serving the Lord with their whole heart. But I, here's where, my, where my, my question mark hits. I'm stumped on the hump of this question mark a little bit, and that's one of the songs of my new album. But uh, uh, that hump of that question mark that I, that I ponder on is this. If this is the pinnacle of this era this dispensation of God's grace, whatever you want to call it, that people call it so many different things. 
if this is the peak, the zenith, the 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 paramount moment of God's display mm-hmm. of His whole plan, is this what it looks like? You know, I know that gets into a lot of theological debates, and people can give me hundreds of answers, and they could probably write it and and tell you that, and, t- and text you, and email you, and give all the answers. But here's what I was get to thinking about. I wanted to dialogue tonight, so thank you for being very patient with my long preface. Here's the deal. When we got saved in the late 60s, early 70s, my biggest opponents were pastors. My Mm -hmm. hardest zone to get into was a church. And also, my hardest place to go for help was the church because it didn't represent anything in my past that I was attracted to that I thought that had any any new answers for it I'd never supplied for before. So here's what I do. I sit in front of my TV sometimes. I don't have cable. I've just... Uh, antenna TV if I don't watch something every now and then. I'm thumbing through, and when you have these 40 local channels, there's five of them that are Christian channels. And I'll start looking sometimes for four or five, ten minutes watching these Christian shows and watching things that are happening. And I look at it, I'm not judging it, but I just say, is this the crowning effort? Is this is this the pinnacle? Is this, what, is this the mountain I've been climbing for 47 years, and this is the top of... Everest. Is this what it looks like from here? And I'm not being critical, but I just think, gosh, okay, all the people sitting home that are not believers and they're scrolling through the TV and they come to this channel, what are they thinking? Well, they're not. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're thinking. The people that I meet, they'll go, wow, look at the glory of God. Wow, I should be involved in it. Because, no, most people hate Christian media. Most people hate it. They don't just click past it. When they see it, it repulses them. And most people pass the church, a non-believer pass the church on Sunday, for the most part, they despise it. So let's just suppose that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gets poured out like it did for us back in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. Where, are these, where are these refugees? That's a popular word today. Where are these refugees going to run to? Where, what country are they going to run to? Are they going to run to the organized, polished production church we had today? Uh, uh, that's a big question. I don't think Mm -hmm. I would if Mm -hmm. I was one of those people. So where am I going to go? But that brings me to ask every believer that's listening tonight to examine our hearts. Are we prepared to be a triage worker? Because there's going to be a large triage when the Holy Spirit gets poured out again. And I don't see it happening inside the churches, inside the church walls. I'm not, once again, not being negative. They're doing a great job maintaining the machine, and I have you know, some certain math problems I'd be happy to offer up for mm. my evidence, but the math of the modern church, the way it works. But, uh, you know, I'm just not convinced in my heart that Jesus has designed this present structure to take on the triage of the anger and the hate and all things that are out there rampant, the violence the sexual perversion, all those things. Of course, for you and me as believers, all those things are met at the cross. All those things are met at a church service that we know where Christ is preached. Mm-hmm. Just the bridge looks really, really long to me. I know the Holy Spirit can transport someone really quickly, but the bridge looks really long to any place where people could go in mass to find oil for their lamp, to find water mm-hmm. for their soul to find bread, the bread of life. I, I just wonder about that. That So I don't have an answer. I'm starting a dialogue. 
uh, with some of my mm-hmm. you know, things mm-hmm. I'm supposing about and wondering about. But that that being said, um, you know, Jesus did give us eyes to see. And what's what's one of the things that we should be able to see easily? Fruit. If we're really bearing fruit, mm-hmm. it's easy to see. If I'm not, if I'm, if I'm uh, doing bad things, I'm gonna the bad fruit in my life's gonna be seen easily. If I'm beating my neighbor or if I burn down some guy's house, I'm gonna call, it's gonna be fruit of my of my behavior, my action. So that's why I want to get back to sort of the wind. When I look around, do I see agape love? I'm not. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I quite see it. I see a lot of mm-hmm. sort of self purpose, self selfish, myself included. <laughs> We're selfish, you know. I don't see that agape love that life laid down. I don't see that that power of the Holy Spirit moving as much as I see the power of a lot of well-intended people organizing God thoughts and God movements. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you ever read the message, you know, Eugene Peterson had a pretty good definition of uh, I never knew you. That passage he takes and puts in his, yeah. his old paraphrase or an actor is I saw your God shows or something like that, you know. I wasn't very impressed because I never really knew you, you know. And I, I sometimes I wonder about our God shows, you know. Even when I'm out ministering and singing, I just always check my heart at the door and say, okay, I don't want this to be about me tonight. I need to make sure this is a God show, not a Paul Clark show, you know. How can I make this a God yeah. show, you know. So I've talked a lot. That's a long-winded answer. We're not dialoguing much between you and me, but uh, I, that's kind of my starter opening conversation yeah no it's fantastic um i i thought it was interesting word use of of the word triage and i want to make sure that we talk about that just a little bit because uh even though the 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 word triage not a lot of people use or know what it means we need to we need to get that first um okay and i got a good idea um, okay uh, this just this is spontaneous. Uh, this is a spontaneous guest uh, interview tonight. You called me just a couple hours ago, and hey, can you you know pinch it? Yep, let's go. <laughs> so just before that, I got a text. I, I don't want to name drop. It sounds like a name drop, but I had a conversation going with with Roseanne Cash on the on our through through our phones, and it was mm-hmm. about St. Patrick's Day. How she lives in New York City in Tribeca, down you know Lower Manhattan, and I. She texted. She put a she put a post up about about uh, New York City being transformed for sen- being insane, the insanity of that's getting ready to happen. But, and I wrote back to her in a private message. You know, I said, you know, the last time I was in, in New York City on St. Patrick's Day was St. Patrick's Day 2001. My daughter and mm-hmm. my son-in-law were living on the fourth floor of a building at 120 Caesar Street, um, right across from the South Tower of the World Trade Center right across the street, I mean, literally, catty corner from it. The first floor on the north side of that building was a hook and ladder New York fire department. In that building was owned by two guys, Mike Keene and Paul, I can't remember his last name. They were, it was an Irish uh, pub and restaurant called O'Hare's. It's still there today. And little did they know that six months later, on the morning of September 11th, that those planes would hit and blow all the windows out and suck people that were in the building watching TV from the first tower, going to suck them out in the street from the oxygen needed to be consumed at the top of the second tower being hit. Well, anyway, long story short, seven months later when he opened it up, you know, what happened was a guy came in who was a fireman, and he ended up 
sticking, ripping off his uniform, his badge, and he stapled the cloth badge, and he stapled it to the wall. And there were 6,000 badges today. These, all these years later, they're stuck on that wall in O'Hara's restaurant. Why did that happen? The reason it happened is because there was severe triage at that ground zero place. In a flash of a morning, in a few minutes, our nation was changed, and that restaurant was changed. And so when I look at our world today, it's getting increasingly darker and increasingly lighter, just like Jesus said. But in that flash of a second, is it possible that there's going to be a huge collision, if you want to call it that? And in that collision, there's going to be people caught looking for relief, just like there was at 9-11. People were running the streets, mm-hmm. horrified. See, they saw it. You remember the, the images of people running from the soot, chasing them down that place of the mm-hmm. streets. And that turned into one big ash-covered triage center. People were confused and running for, looking for, the first thing they were looking for was community, John. Our parking mm-hmm. lot was stuck for months of churches. Every church was was busy. Oprah had a, you know, <laughs> a prayer service at Yankee Stadium that she got overnight. She got a permit for it. I mean, no insurance necessary. No, it just, we were in triage. We were in need mm. of immediate attention, you know. I have a friend who's a worship leader at a church in St. Joe, Missouri. He was in a massive car wreck years ago, and he was left mm. for dead because his heart was literally hanging outside of his body. They didn't work on him because he looked like he was too far gone. And somebody said, his heart's still beating eight hours later, and now he's an amazing worship leader today. But that's serious triage. <laughs> but I look at the world right now as kind of like that. I see a bunch of people like my friend. They're, they're laying on the ground with their heart is out of their chest, and they're in, they're in triage. They're in need of attention beyond their own skill sets to put their life back together. And where mm. is that going to happen? Are we providing that? Or are we just shining our, our car, our driveway, so to speak, spiritually, and not offering, you know, like yeah. I have another friend that's, just, uh, this is a quick side story, but another friend of mine that he's a, a prepper. And he says, he told me, he says, there's two kinds of preppers. There's the I got mine prepper, which is the guy that sort of lives in the mountains and got all his guns and ammunition and food and water for years to store up. And there's the guy who stored up because he's ready to meet the need when that triage comes along. And so mm. I, I like to think that I want to be a prepper that have I have oil in my lamp. I have water in my, in my well. I have the bread of life to offer, you know, to people that are in instant, either instant shock or already the hardness of sin. Uh, has already worn them their life into a place of almost paralyzing them, almost empower, you know, taking away their power to even be a human being almost. I mean, people, these addicts and these cultures we live in, heroin's on the rise again, you know, more than ever in this country. There's all kinds of addictions going on in our country that are rampant. That's not political. That's a soul issue. That's not political. That's a soul issue, a heart issue. And all these people that are, you know, trying to still all these years later, thousands of years later, <laughs> since man fell, yeah. you know, we're still trying to stuff that box of our heart with things that will stop the trauma. And so uh, when you're that injured, you can't fix yourself. You know, you, God is, for some reason, designed to have his church be that, 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 that place of 
representation of his of his love, you know, his his healing balm. So that's just a little so analogy that, I could give of O'Hara's restaurant there in that's great. Lower Manhattan. That's you cool. Know, it went from it went from being just another pub in New York to a triage center to now mm-hmm. really it's a badge of honor for people it's where people go and reflect. The owners, you know, Mm-hmm. Just people come here and they just stare at the wall and have a beer and, and just reflect. I mean, people they look at that and they, and they they have something. There's a, you know, there's something of a man, you know, that makes him look at that. And you know, like it says in Ecclesiastes, God set eternity in the heart of man. But so he, you won't know what comes mm-hmm. after him. I mean, that's 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 the way we're designed. Talk about that machine again. You know, we're designed to not know that. It's only found in Christ. You know, but that stability in the Father. So, Paul, how um, it, it sounds like what you're saying is that this is going to happen outside, most likely outside of the walls of the, of the church, just like before. It was outside. Let me, of the let me give you. A, I will, I'm not a theologian, but I'll give you a Bible scripture that I think is a really good. But you're a prophet. So don't 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 well, keep putting yourself down, Paul. You're you're a prophet. I'm not putting myself down. Already, have the gift I'm of a, discernment. So I'm a I'm a good <laughs> vessel that the Lord's using. Uh, if you got your Bibles there, can everybody can turn to Genesis chapter 49 and verse 22? And these are all the blessings that are being handed out. And it comes to to Joseph in verse 22. It says, "Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall." And I remember the first time that verse got my attention. I'm talking decades ago. <laughs> His branches run over the wall. And when I read that that day, I remember being just pricked in mm. my heart, you know, going, wow, man, that's that's it. We're like little Josephs. Because, I mean, think about it. Kind of like the Jesus movement was kind of, in a way, by the from the, the church. Please don't, this is not me just looking through my own rose-colored glasses, just me giving history class. In a way... The jealousy of the organized Polish church in the late 60s didn't want to deal with the messy Jesus people, the barefooted, long hair, bearded. I remember my butt hanging out my right pocket. I, my right pocket was gone. Just my cheek was showing, you know. First time I walked into a church, you know. <laughs> they didn't want, I was a triage. I, they didn't want to deal with me, you know. So what's the easiest thing to do is kind of go out and then throw you in the ditch, you know, kind of like Joseph's brothers. But you look at the, the beauty of a dysfunctional family, dumped one of the brothers into a hole. He ends up in Egypt. Egypt becomes Potiphar, Potiphar's wife. Potiphar then leads, at whole scene leads him into jail. The baker, you know, the prophecy, the dreams, the interpretation leads him into Pharaoh's court. And through his giftings and skills that God put in him, it saves not only that nation, but Israel. And without that being, there's a good chance that the, the seed of the Messiah would have perished in Israel in a famine. So out of that dysfunctional family came the Messiah. Okay, so when I look at this, Genesis 42, and I see his bow go over the wall. I mean, you can't describe Joseph's life better than that. It did not happen in Israel. <laughs> you know, it did not happen there. It yeah. happened in Egypt. It happened in the very throne room, so to speak, of the most evil ruler of the day, the guy who's running the show. Yeah. You know, so I can think of a lot of metaphors and I can stay away from any political dialogue easily by saying there's in the middle of the show in the middle of the show of the world, 
you know, not just our country, because you got to think bigger than our country here. This is not a U.S. conversation we're having here. This is a global, yeah. a world conversation we're having here, and the chaos of our whole world. So don't just think of the Western Church I'm talking about tonight. I kind of focused on that. Mm-hmm. But you think of mm-hmm. the globe, all of mankind, men and women, all this world, are are being squeezed and pinched. You, you, if you turn on the news at all, it's you know one minute a leader gets impeached in Korea or whatever. You know it's 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 ha- it's it's accelerating. And so when I think of us as believers, are we going to wait for the patients to come into our hospitals, or are we going to go outside the walls of the hospitals this week? Are we going to go over the wall and take? Uh, one of my favorite, most favorite plants is bougainvillea. You've got on there in Laguna Beach. You you, you throw oh, a bougainvillea, yeah. especially in the ground, and two days later you've got beautiful mm-hmm. scenery, you know. Mm-hmm. And bougainvillea mm-hmm. is most beautiful when it grows up a wall and over a wall. That's when it's the most majestic mm-hmm. display. It goes over the wall. I planted uh, bougainvillea in some of my friends' houses in the house he's doing in Arizona. I planted it. It went over the wall. I mean, it's just, just a mm-hmm. bountiful bush, you know, and it's beautiful. So... When I look at that, I think of that bougainvillea, I like to think of that's what the body car should be looking like. It should be this beautiful vine, flowering vine, going over the wall and going out into the very center court, the very Egypt of the world, so to speak, mm-hmm. this, the dialogue mm-hmm. of the world. It should be out there in the middle of the marketplace impacting it. Instead, it seems like it's lose, it's becoming more and more hidden to the world and more and more despised by the world, which is biblical. Jesus said they'll hate you because of my namesake. So this is not anything new that I'm talking about. But I think it's interesting to think about but that verse there. You so know, his, you understand what I'm saying about his, just that beauty I going over the wall? You know, the fruit is yeah, fruitful. I love it. It's fruitful. And it's, mm-hmm. if it just said his, uh, his business will go over the wall or his uh, governing abilities will go over the wall, you know, but it's it's a fruitful, it's fruitful. And what did Jesus say? Bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And that's that's to me the barometric pressure sign we got to look at in our own lives and the and the pulse of the church today is that are we bearing fruit, more fruit, and much fruit? And if we're not doing that, then it's time to take a good hard look at what you're doing. You know, myself included. Wow. Well, I, you know what? We are normally, you know, we're out of time. And, uh, but, but I'm going to let this go a little bit longer because um, I, I love where you're going with this. Uh, but I, I want you to speak now to how can we be best prepared then? Um, mm. how, how can we as believers be best prepared to be that triage uh, to the to the world around us. Well, a simple answer would be uh, a vessel. A vessel holds things. You know, it doesn't matter. We always think of a cup. You know, we think of a cup. I, when I think of the word vessel, the first story comes to mind is Acts twenty-seven, and that's the vessel that Paul was on when he got on a larger boat on his way to Rome. Um, that vessel was a was an Alexandrian grain boat, and I've done a lot of research because I wrote a I was writing a book at one time called Small Sails on the High Seas. It was written off that chapter. That boat, that vessel, was holding 276 people and all the grain, 
So what what can we do, John? It's sort of like we can we can look like that boat. We can be a boat that will hold all the grain and be able to provide life to people. But isn't it interesting that story that they know throwing that grain overboard? What a stupid thing to do when you think about it. They were they had not eaten for fourteen days. And yet they they took enough food for that one meal and then they were instructed to throw the grain over because the weight was gonna cause the boat to, to sink in the storm. So my answer is, what are we going to do? I think we need to throw out the stuff off the boat. It's too heavy. Hmm. We need to throw out the stuff. It's all good stuff. Jesus just doesn't prune. God the Father just doesn't prune away the bad stuff. He doesn't just prune away our sins. He prunes He prunes as he's necessary. I've got beautiful double knockout roses in my front yard. Lots of them. I mean, a whole gaggle. <laughs> and I cut them back to stump them, you know, like six, eight inches above the ground every year. And by July, they're four feet tall. So mm-hmm. I think whatever we need to prepare, we got to get rid of the dead wood inside the vessel. It doesn't have to be a cup in your mind. Think of it more as a vessel, like a big floating Home Depot, <laughs> you know, and all the stuff that we that is cluttering up the shelves. Hey, look, at I was in California all January. I, all I saw was neon signs up and down every street, 80%, 80% off, everything must go, you know. I mean, people are getting rid of, <laughs> you know, retailers are getting rid of stuff that people didn't want. They, they act like they're doing you a favor by giving you a big discount, but it's really just getting rid of junk that they can't sell. And so I think we need to look at our hearts and take inventory and say, okay, to prepare ourselves, look at a hospital. If we're going to call it the triage center, if people came running in for help and you had a hardware store full of stuff that, you know, wasn't necessary, if it's all hot water heaters, who needs a hot water heater if you're bleeding? You don't need a hot water heater, you need a tourniquet, you know? So... Uh, so what do we, what, what is on our shelves? What is inside of our vessel? What are we offering? So uh, being a prepper, so to speak, we've got to prepare ourselves to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be full of agape love, be full of compassion, be full of his grace mm-hmm. and mercy, not mm-hmm. full of judgment, not full of accusational answers and scriptures and beat people to have the, the, the truth of the scripture. That's, I don't believe that's what God would have us to prepare. You know, if I was hungry and on the run and somebody offered me a meal, I wouldn't sit there and talk to them about ask them what their bread was made out of. I would just eat it. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. that's what I think we've got to ask ourselves. What do we have in our storehouse? And what are we, what are we already prepared to give? We're going to need the Holy Spirit fresh that day. We can prepare ourselves all we want. I want to make this clear. Yeah. We can't we can't store up for this event that's going to happen, this event, you know. You know, Christianity is not an event. It's a lifestyle. It's every day. There's mm-hmm. an ebb and a flow. You have good days, bad days. You know, some days sin dogs you. Some days you're righteous as you can ever hope to be. Um, so, but an overall, an overarching theme to your life as a Christian you should be led by the Holy Spirit and be able to respond to him and do that. And that's, we're going to need to know how to have our senses trained. That's as the scripture said, you know, how, how to have that. And also cool. be able to know what God's saying. You think for a minute when Joseph was sitting in the ditch in the hole where his brothers had dumped him in, that he was getting a, a making a, a uh, outline of what he planned to do when he got to Egypt. <laughs> he, he, he goes, go to Egypt. You know where he's going. He's going to die. 
you know. So mm-hmm. he didn't make a he didn't have a five year business plan for how much you know save Egypt and Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was led moment <laughs> to moment, event to event. He was he was led by God, and God equipped him to do it. So part of that is just learning how to co-op with God in the little things you do in your life every day right now. You know, I always try to add value to at least one person's life every day. It's sort of a always been a personal goal of mine to some days I'm selfish and forget about it. You know, but for the most part, I try to add value to anybody from my mom's life to to my neighbor or whatever. You know, try to add value to at least one person's life a day is a good place to start. And in that, mm-hmm. you always be looking for the Holy Spirit and how you can look mm-hmm. for an opening to 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 turn it into a God moment, a God conversation, a God blessing, and a, truly the Holy Spirit, a grace being dispensed to that person you you come into contact with. So, and the more the more you do that, you're able to do it to more than just one at a time. You can do it to more than one person at a time. You can do it to a group of twenty, fifty, hundred, whatever you know, whatever. You're equipping yourself by. Ex- the more you experience it now, the more experienced you'll be, you know, when that when those times come along when you're faced with that. Um, one of my strange gifts I have, I seem to have a gift of, like, hospice. I mean, uh, just recently when I was out there in California, a friend of mine's mother was dying. I went to the hospital in Saddleback Hospital and walked in. I've been around enough people passing. People, a, a saint especially passing is just about the most sacred thing you could ever witness on this earth watching a saint give up his spirit and his breath. And I've been around it mm. enough that there's a skin tone color even that begins to take place, a putty look and on their face and stuff. And I walked in there at midnight, and, man, it was like a three- mm. to four-hour look that I'd seen before, you know, before she was moving on. And it was a blessing to be there, you know, just to kind of usher the situation because I had experience at that. And I wasn't freaked out, like, oh, my gosh, she's doing what's going to really do. You know, it wasn't that at all. I was calm. I help, I help mm-hmm. through me, through me, the Holy Spirit helped call my friends and the, the daughters of this mother and the son-in-law. And, and you know, a couple hours of me being there, the Lord used me for a couple hours to just, you know, bring the, the triage down to a to a blessing, to like a, a, a joyful moment, actually. It, it actually turned to a joyful moment. You know? So that's a good little metaphor, possibly, of how if you yeah, can be cool. in the moment and be ready that you can actually mm-hmm. look at the signs, look at the skin color and say, wow, okay, right now this could really happen. You can be a, you can be something that brings temperance and, and brings stability and strength to something that's, um, mm-hmm. you know, unstable. So one, one last thought, I think, I, I think one of the things, one of the th- I said this before on one of our interviews now, I'm going to repeat it just quickly. Um, I'm a big fan of, I was kind of mentored by a Russian artist, architect, friend of mine. He passed away a couple of years ago. And he, he really schooled me on him. Marcus Petruvius, who was um, a man of great design during the Roman Empire in Jesus' time, in fact. And uh, he his three-prong, his three-legged stool was, you know, had to have strength, had to have function, and to have beauty. And those three things, those are the things that I use for a plumb line for my life. I try to every day, try to look at, is my life moving with strength and function and beauty? And I, I can tell you, the days that there's no function happening, mm-hmm. nothing getting accomplished. It's like a wasted day. The days I don't have strength happening, nothing gets done. And the days I don't have mm-hmm. beauty, nothing gets done. It's like you need all three of those to be working together. 
to, to really represent sort of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, strength, function, and beauty. And we need that in the church desperately today. We need mm-hmm. the beauty of the Lord in the church. We need the strength, mm-hmm. the function of the church happening mm-hmm. uh, so that people will be drawn to believers to find help in that time of need. No, Paul, this is great. I can't thank you. I think, thank you enough. This is uh, this is exciting. You've given me a whole – oh, you gave me about a week's worth of catches here, so I'm yeah. very excited. <laughs> <laughs> and and hey, uh, lots to think about. Those are my thoughts. You call me. You call me two hours ago. So, what have you been thinking about lately? And I said, "Well, these are my <laughs> thoughts." You said, "Let's do that." This is not a plug either. Great. I just thought it's a kind of a, this is a kind of a funny thing. You said you're going to ask me about my new album. Well, we won't talk about it. We are out of time. But the title of it's called "Branching Roots," and how appropriate branching is that roots. for branching That's roots? That's a good yeah. Uh, over the wall. For, yeah, over the wall. You know, so. Uh, it's not available oh. online. Unfortunately, you have to go to paulclarkmusic.com. I have it on vinyl. I actually did a 180-gram vinyl with a duofold double open-up album jacket and right. CDs. I'm going to release it in, in the, into the digital domain world someday soon. But for now, I'm just letting uh, a canvas okay. stay analog. <laughs> so you can get it at my website. Oh, but, uh, fantastic. Yeah, Branching Roots. Fantastic. Branching Roots, and it's uh, Branching roots. Paul, what is it? What is it? Paul, PaulClarkMusic.com. Uh, PaulClarkMusic.com. Yeah, it's a really okay. interesting. Paul, it's a stripped-down record with uh, Stuart Duncan, and award. He's a multi-award-winning uh, fiddle player. Plays everybody from Alison Krauss to you name it, and uh, Byron House on bass, and Phil Keggy and myself. And it's very stripped-down Americana uh, record. Cool. It's full of Bible stories and cool. truth. Cool. Thank you, Paul. This is so good. So John, it's always a blessing to talk to you. Getting and, ready for uh, it. God bless the catch audience. I love the catch. Okay. Thank you. God Thank bless. you. And you thanks right. for helping us get ready. Hey. Okay, folks, you got that. That's how you're gonna get ready for the coming of the Lord. For the next move, the next wave. Be ready. Know what God says. Be led by his Holy Spirit. Full of compassion, grace, mercy. Yeah. All right. Never know. You might be called to see the tree off. All right, folks. God bless you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for listening. Okay. Bye-bye. Praise the Lord. Bye-bye.